This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, With all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please do take a seat. It's great to be with you this morning to look at that bit of God's word together. My name's Tim. Uh, and I help uh, Ruth. Uh, together we look after the uh, students who are part of our church family at Platt, which is a great joy. And it's a great joy to be able to kick off our new series in 1 Corinthians uh, as well. And I want to start by showing us all a picture which will appear uh, on the screens. It's a picture that was uh, drawn in about 1720 by a man called William Hogarth. It's called the South Sea Scheme. Uh, There'd been a bit of a a financial crisis uh, earlier on uh, in that year, and uh, there'd been a financial collapse, an economic collapse. And and Hogarth draws this picture to take a few pot shots at people who he thinks uh, are responsible. Uh, And there's lots going on, and you might not be able to see all the details. Let me just pick out a few things uh, for us, uh, though. First of all, on on the right of the picture, as you look at it, there's this the bottom of a big monument. And you won't be able to see the words on there, but it's saying this, this marks the destruction of the city of London. And on top of the monument, you might just pick out there are two foxes fighting each other. And Hogarth says, this is the problem. This is what's gone wrong in London. It, it's competition. Everyone fighting each other. And, and there have been casualties as everybody's fighting against each other to get ahead, get on top, get one over on everyone else, which is where the financial collapse had happened. You, you might be able to pick out in the front of the picture, there are a couple of figures who've been stripped naked and are being tortured. Uh, those are the figures of honor and honesty. And so Hogarth saying, when this is the culture around us, that everyone's in competition, everyone's fighting each other, there are casualties in a world like this. Uh, but the dominant bit of the picture is in the middle. And you can see it there, the, the merry-go-round. Here's a zoomed-in version. And you probably noticed in that picture a huge crowd jostling with each other, uh, hustling and bustling and pushing each other out of the way, all trying to get to the front of the queue so they can get on the merry-go-round. And Hogarth said, that's what's happening in London. 
uh, in 1720. It's a competition for status to get to the front, to get ahead of everyone else, and there are casualties. I wonder if anything in that picture resonates with you. We're in Manchester today. It's a city of opportunity. It's a city with lots of people and loads going on. But I wonder if it sometimes feels like you're pushing to get ahead. Uh, sometimes, I wonder if it sometimes feels that in this modern world, it's a, it's a rush for status. How can I prove I'm the best, get to the front of the queue so I can get on the merry-go-rounds? Maybe if you're one of our young people, our pathfinders or platformers who are here, you feel the pinch of that at school. As you're told to work hard so you can get the grades to open the doors of opportunity, then I'll get to the front of the queue. Uh, then I'll have loads of chances, loads of opportunities. Or uh, maybe you are a new student, new to Manchester. You look around this big city with lots going on. You think, wow, I could really get ahead in the world of academics. Or, or maybe you're interested in politics or the arts or business. All that and more going on in Manchester. So many opportunities to get ahead. But, but boy, I feel the urge to, I need to compete. I need to battle to get to the front of the queue. But maybe you're a parent who's dropped someone off at university and you look at that picture a little differently. Maybe you're worried. Are they going to get lost in the crowd? Are they going to be one of the ones who's trampled underfoot? Or maybe you're someone who's, like all of us, just coming out of the lockdown life as things are returning more and more to normal. And, and when lockdown came along, we all kind of slowed down a bit. But now we've gone back to work, we've gone back to the office, and don't we just feel the pressure to push our way back to the front and get back on the merry-go-round? We do feel in our culture today like life is a struggle for status, for success, to get ahead. And cultures like that often have casualties. Maybe you think that's a really modern thing, that this is a modern phenomenon in the world, but actually that picture shows us that there were lots of the same things going on in 18th century London, and there are lots of the same things going on in 1st century Corinth, which is where we're going to be this term in this book of 1 Corinthians. And, and Corinth was a very modern-feeling city. There's a, there's a map here. Uh, it shows us sort of where Corinth is. You can see it's, it's on the coast. It's a port town, and it's close to two stretches of water. One goes out to the east. One goes out to the, the west. So you can get your stuff from Corinth to anywhere, which made it a huge trading center. Merchants would come from all over to trade there, to buy, to sell. And that meant loads of money was coming into Corinth all the time, which meant it was a city of opportunity much like Manchester. And as people were coming to Corinth, they thought they could make their name. They could make their way in business or the arts or politics or whatever it might be. There was opportunity in Corinth. And because of that opportunity, the culture that grew up there was one of competition. Getting ahead, getting to the front of the queue, my status, my power, my wealth became all important in Corinth. Corinth had lots in common with London in the 18th century and Manchester in the 21st century. And there's one of the things it had in common. Uh, if we just see that picture again, I wonder if you noticed it. You probably didn't because it's so far in the background. Behind the monument, you can barely see it, St. Paul's Cathedral. There was a church there. 
and there was a church in first century Corinth. In that picture, if you scan the details later, Hogarth actually in the, in the crowd scene, there are lots of vicars and religious figures. And one of the points he's making is the church has been infected, intoxicated with the culture and the values of the world that rush to get ahead, to, to strive for status. And so it overshadows the church, which is just very far in the background. And if that was true in London, well, it was true in first century Corinth too. There was a church there, but it had been intoxicated by the values of the culture around it. Uh, The church in Corinth was full. It was full of people, capable people. It was full of gifts. But it was full of divisions, full of rivalries and competition. It was full of scandal because they were full of themselves. Self-promotion, status-seeking, drove the culture in Corinth, And it had infected and intoxicated the church. And Paul had found out about it. We'll hear later on about some of Chloe's people, someone in the church called Chloe. And she sends some messengers to Paul who tell him what's going on. And Paul is distressed to hear how much of the culture around has intoxicated the church. And so he writes this letter. And we're going to be in the first four chapters of this letter. And this letter is going to give Paul's antidote, his cure, to being infected, intoxicated with the culture around. And today we're we're just going to pick out a couple of things, the first couple of ingredients of Paul's antidote, so to speak. What what does Paul want them to know right from the start? These first few verses are the kind of verses you can easily scan over and miss lots of things uh, because most of the letters start in what we think is a similar way. But, But Paul is specific about what he says here because it's so relevant to the situation in Corinth. And here's the first thing Paul wants to say. Remember what you've received. Remember what you've received. And that word received is the important words. Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul wants them to know, first of all, they have received a status They are sanctified, which means set apart. They have a special status as one of God's holy people. And in a world that's obsessed with status and getting ahead, uh, that would have been a very powerful idea. But the important thing is that Paul wants them to know is this is a status that they've been given by God. He's the one who set them apart. He's the one who made them holy. It's not something they've done for themselves that they've earned or deserved by pushing their way to the front of the queue. This is a status that's given. A given status that they have received. And not just them. Other people all over the world have received the same status who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've received a status, and they've received gifts. So verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. There were lots of people in that church who were very, very gifted, but Paul wants them to know that everything they've got was a gift. 
a gift that God has given them. That's true of all of us. Whatever we are, whatever we achieve, whatever we do, we're only able to do it because God ultimately has given us gifts and abilities. We didn't earn them. We don't deserve them more than anyone else. It's just the gift of God's grace. And Paul, right from the start of this letter, is majoring on grace because grace is the great leveler. As soon as you get your head around grace, you realize you can't think yourself superior to anyone else. You can't actually look down on anyone else because of the things you've done or achieved in life. You've only been able to do those things because of God's grace to you. It's not because you're naturally more worthy or or better than anyone else. It's because God has given you certain gifts and abilities. And in a culture which has such a focus on human achievement and getting to the front of the queue, grace is hard to hear. But it's a very powerful leveler in a world like that. And Paul wants to start this letter off with grace because he needs everyone to get into that mindset before he addresses the divisions and the problems uh, that there are in the church that we'll see more of through this term. I guess for all of us, uh, it's always a subtle danger to move the focus off of God's generosity to us and to our own giftedness. I mean, last week we got to celebrate, didn't we? Any of you who are here, our 175th birthday. There were times when you just looked around and went, wow, look at the creativity and the energy and the joy and the wonder. Uh, of seeing this church family come together. Look at all the wonderful efforts and gifts of the people who've made it happen. But it is so important for us to always remember all those things are ultimately a gift from God and make sure that the praise gets reflected to him. Paul says, I always thank my God for you. Never let the focus drift there to ourselves and our own giftedness because that is a recipe for letting worldly thinking in. So we always need to be on our guard uh, against that. And grace, a healthy dose of grace, is the first and most important step against that kind of culture seeping in to the church. Remember what you've received. Uh, And the second thing Paul wants wants the Corinthians and us to see, remember who's the hero. Look down at verse 7, halfway through. As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You didn't miss it, did you? Three times in three verses, Paul talks about Jesus Christ as Lord. He is the one we are waiting for, in verse 7. He keeps us firm to the end, so we're ready for the ultimate day in history, which is called his day. All of history is headed toward him. And all of life, what God is doing is he's drawing people into fellowship, into friendship with him. It is Jesus who is the hero of the story that God is telling and is the hero of the world. And that's a really important thing in a culture like ours. Maybe even more so today. 
the powerful tool that is the internet. It, it can sort of rewire our thinking, rewire our brains all the time because what you see on the screen is not what I see. All the ads, everything. Like, we're going to have a baby uh, in a, a couple of weeks, really. Can I tell you how many baby adverts I've seen come up on YouTube? In the last couple of months, it's, it's so scary that they know. Um, and I'm sure, like, the t- the, everything's tailored toward you. And so you start to see the world more and more from your own perspective. And the opinions you read are more and more the opinions that you hold. And, and, and slowly but surely, you're moved into the center of the world. And it's easy like that. And, and then they say, share your story. Come on. You're a very sensible, thoughtful person. Everyone really agrees with you. So show us your story. Share it. Of course we need to hear from you. And it's designed to get people to engage and things like that. But, but when that's happening all the time, it's, it's easy to write ourselves as the main character, the hero of our own story. But can I tell you, that's disastrous for us. Because it's not where we're meant to be. If you're the hero of your story... How much pressure does that put on you? You have to solve the problems for yourself. You have to sort it all out. It's a crushing weight if you've got to be the hero. But the Bible insists, and Paul wants to insist to the Corinthians straight away here, you're not the hero. Jesus is. And that takes a huge burden off because you don't need to be the saviour of the world. He'll do that. And it takes a huge burden off because it ensures a happy ending. If we're the hero, sadly, it means the story's going to end in tragedy. It doesn't matter how well you do, how much you achieve in life, how much status and recognition you get. Ultimately, all our lives and all our careers end. And as an example of that, we've been to a few cities today. We've been to... London and Manchester and Corinth. Let's go to Paris. And King Louis XIV, also known as Louis the Great. He lived in the Palace of Versailles. He had the riches. He was a very successful king in lots of ways at the time. He, he reigned for 72 years. He was known as Louis the Great, the Sun King. His light was the thing that gave France light. You know, he, he achieved. Uh, he achieved great status and success. And yet, after 72 years of a long reign, of course, he died. And at his funeral, um, the cathedral was sort of in darkness. It took place at night, and they draped the the windows, and all the lights were put out except one candle, which was on his coffin, as if to symbolize that he was the great light of France and that all eyes needed to be fixed and focused on him. But if that was true... What a tragic day for France. What a tragic day for the world because the hero's gone. So now, the end of the story is a tragedy. But it's not true. During that service, uh, the bishop, Massillon, got up to preach. And as he preached, he uh, got up to begin his sermon. He leaned over the, the coffin and snuffed out the candle. Now completely dark. And he said, only God is great. Friends, that's good news. It's good news that we're not the hero of the story that God's telling, that it is God himself in the person of Jesus who is the hero. Well, 
the worldly thinking, the seeking after power and status and recognition can easily creep into the church. Hogarth saw it in his day, creeping in to the church. And we'd be foolish to think that there is no way in which the culture around us and our worldly thinking hasn't become part of our thinking as, as Christians and as a church family. And so it's really helpful that we'll be working through 1 Corinthians this term. I hope you'll come back week by week and join us. And there'll be times when it might be a bit painful when we recognize there has been a bit too much of the world's thinking in our church's life. And there'll be times when we're going to need to do the hard work of repenting and coming to God for forgiveness. And that's important to do. But it's also joyous to do because we're bringing ourselves and our thinking into line with what God's doing and what he's saying about the world. And as we do that, we're going to get a new view, a new vision of power and status. It's going to overturn the worldly thinking. If we just look at that picture one more time, and that uh, the, the cathedral, St. Paul's in the background, you, you won't even be able to make out there the tiny little cross on the top of the dome of St. Paul's. And, and sometimes when we get wrapped up in worldly thinking, that's what it's like. The cross just gets hidden from view and pushed to the back. And what this letter and what the Apostle Paul are going to do is that he's going to drag that cross from the back corner of the picture. And he's going to bring it front and center. You can barely see it on that screen, but hopefully it'll be shining much, much brighter as we look through 1 Corinthians together. And when we look at that, it will overturn our thoughts about power and status. I hope you come back to hear that. Because it's what the church needs to hear. It's what we all need to hear. Especially so in a culture like ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this letter. We thank you that it will be speaking powerfully, yes, first of all to the Corinthians, but it will also speak powerfully to us because of the, the ways in which our culture and theirs overlap. We pray you'd give us open ears and open hearts, even to hear the hard things that we're going to in the next few weeks, but also to see the joy that, the, that comes when we finally have a, a cross-centered vision of what power and wisdom and status and all those things really are. We thank you that it's a wonderful joy to be brought into the story you're telling. And we pray that we will do just that through this term. In Jesus' name, amen.